Proverbs 15:22. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Proverbs 12:15. The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I have to say, after, weren't they just phenomenal up here today? Yeah. Man, I was just, I said this in first service, but it got me again in second. You know, like, you, you got me again. Uh, and then I've got Rachel's uh, breakfast casserole also in me. So thank you, Rachel. Um, man, I am, there you are. Yeah, so it was just, whoo, I'm just all full in all kinds of ways. Um, and so let me just open us up in a word of prayer, and then we can dive in together, okay? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your church. Thank you that uh, we can gather together and sense your presence, yes. that we can gather together and feel your fullness, thank you, that we can feast yes. <laughs> on the good gifts that uh, your people bring together. And thank you first and last for your word, that you speak to us, as Jesus reminds us, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. And so we come hungry, we pray that by the power of your spirit, you would speak to us, speak through me, anything stupid I say would be forgotten quickly, and that we would walk out of here more yours and more wise. For those two are so intimately interconnected. Thank you again. We anticipate your good work in this moment as your people gathered in your name. In Jesus' name we do pray. All God's people said, amen. Well, I, I wanted to start by just focusing on someone. There have been few people in my life have influenced me more than uh, my friend Thomas. Um, some of you may not know that that's me without the beard uh, next to that guy. Um, <clears throat> but uh, we've known each other since seventh grade. My father wasn't in the picture. My mom was working 50, 60 hours a week. And so his family would pick, us, pick me up every day to go to school and drop me off after school. We had a lot of time uh, together. And as you saw in the picture there, uh, we are still connected all the way back from seventh grade to now. We ran the 100-mile ultramarathon a year ago, August, 27 and a half hours, nonstop. It was really fun because we're nuts. And, you know, honestly, there have been few people who have made me into the man I am today, like Thomas. And one of the earliest memories I have of our friendship together was one day after school, uh, we had to stop over at his dad's church. His dad was a pastor. And we're sitting out in the lobby, and I didn't have any friends. You know, we just moved to Columbus, Ohio, not too long before that, um, and I was just hungry for some sort of connection with somebody. So I thought, here's a great opportunity to impress this new potential friend with a joke. Um, and I got the joke. Anybody remember Muppets tonight? Anybody remember that? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> well, good for you. You're probably a better person for it. Well, anyway, I heard the joke on Muppets tonight. I didn't quite get it, but I figured if it worked on there, it'll work for me. So there we are in the church lobby. Um, and I, you know, to my new friend Thomas, I say, hey, what do you get when you put together an elephant and a rhino? Elephino! And I yell it. I mean, I just yell 
I didn't know what it sounded like until I shouted it. And it was so loud that it reverberated into Thomas's dad's office. <laughs> of course, Thomas's dad, Mr. Pastor Dale. Pastor Dale came out real kind. He was always so kind. Um, still is. He's alive. Um, so, you know, came out and said, uh, you know, Gabe, I don't know how you talk at your home, but we don't use words like that here, okay? <laughs> I was like, sorry, Pastor Dale. You know, like, oh, but I so desperately wanted this friendship. And it started off rocky. By God's grace, right, it continued through time, and maybe because of that joke, uh, because I started off like a failure. Tom felt really comfortable around me. I don't know. Um, but honestly, honestly, my love for, for Jesus how I care for people, um, the kind of man I am, the husband, the father, all that, a lot of it has to do with how Tom challenged me, how he spoke into my life, how he encouraged me, and more often than not was just there um, when no one else was. Um, I, really, I really am the man I am today in large part because of the continued friendship I have with Thomas. And I think I think if we think back over, if you think back over your life, we all have people like that or have had people at some point like that in our lives, um, these friendships. I mean, think back to the, some of your greatest moments and memories in life and maybe some of your deepest regrets. Chances are good that friends are in both of them um, at some point along the way. Our friends are the people we surround ourselves with. Our friends are the people we share our hearts with. Friendships they're really a great institution. They're powerful. And because they're so powerful, they're really dangerous. Because when you're in this friendship, this intimate friendship, what do you do? You let down your guard. Your heart is easily influenced. It shapes your friendships, shape the way you see the world. They shape the language you use about the world. It shapes your emotions. When they're really excited, you're really excited. When they're brokenhearted, you're brokenhearted. You want them to have joy. They want you to have joy. I mean, all of this is intertwined. And maybe one of the most important things around friendships is that it's our friends to whom we listen when we have questions about life. And this is so important. This is so crucial when it comes to navigating life. Because who you listen to shapes who you become. Yeah. Who you listen to shapes who you become. And who you become isn't just, you know, something that's important for you and you alone and having a good life for yourself. That's, that's good. That's not something you should, you know, look at disdainfully. But who you become, God is deeply interested in who you become for a lot of reasons as will come to see this morning. And I, and I know, even as I say that, like, who you listen to shapes who you become. A lot of you are thinking, that's not a revolutionary idea, Gabe. You know, my teachers told me that when I was a student. You know, youth pastors tell that to teenagers. Parents tell that to children. Mentors say that to mentees. That's not necessarily a new concept. But what is extraordinarily difficult is how you go about listening to the right people. Like, how do you surround yourself? If, if who you listen to shapes who you become, how do you go about surrounding yourself with the right kind of people? Right? This is an, a, a crucial question. Now, if you're new or you're just jumping in, you know, at some point along this journey, we've been over the past couple weeks in a journey to kind of restart smart. Um, this year, I'm sure for every single one of us has had its fits and starts. If you think about who you felt like God was calling you to be or who you wanted to be, Back in January 1st, and some of these goals, chances are really good. They're not right on point. And so how do we restart SMART? And 
as people who are longing to follow Jesus, we want to go to his word. Um, and for that, we dove into the ancient wisdom of Proverbs. Now, I've had a lot of discussions around Proverbs, and just to even set the story straight a little bit there, too, Proverbs isn't the gospel. Like, if you just follow Proverbs, it's not going to save your soul. But because it's a part of God's word and that he is the one who's inspired and in speaking through it, we can really trust it to save us from a lot of heartache and a lot of regret. Because God longs for us to avoid needless heartache. Sometimes he calls us into great suffering, but he doesn't want you to walk into needless heartache um, and pain. And so we want to hear what he has to say here. And this is where we come to garner wisdom, an attribute of God himself. And wisdom isn't just a bunch of like isolated principles that we can plug into a series of cause and effect situations. No, 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 no. It's the art of skillfully living in God's world. And the best way to do that isn't just memorizing algorithms, but it's walking with him through his world and learning to see as he sees and understanding how he's designed his world, which is why we started this whole journey just to remember we started this whole journey saying that if we want to restart smart, we have to start first with the right posture toward God. And it can't just stop with a posture. It has to engage a certain practice of trusting that God knows his world better than we do. But nowhere do we ever see across the pages of Scripture, nowhere do we ever see when it comes to following Jesus that this path of wisdom is somehow a solo expedition. If we were learning how to trust and certain practices on how we can trust God last week, this week we're going to learn how we trust others and have healthy vulnerability and also healthy boundaries and discernment and how we process that together. And so, as we navigate this morning, we find ourselves at our passage in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15, which reads, once again, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes or her own eyes, but a wise man or woman listens to advice. Then you jump over to Proverbs 15, 22, and what do we see? Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. If you want, to, if you want your life to go the long haul, it can't be done alone. It can't be done alone. The fool, so there's something so crucial about Proverbs 12, 15. The fool thinks that all they need to see the best path forward is their own two eyes. They're wise in their own eyes, and that's enough. But the wise person says, I need other people to see into my life. I need other people to say, hey, you didn't see that because you've got blind spots. And I need to say, as a desiring wise person, you're right. Help me see better. I need to be able to admit that I have blind spots. We need people in our lives, and the wise understand that. If you want to grow in wisdom, you can't do it alone. You can't do it alone. So if you want to go the long haul, we need people in our lives. And it's especially in those areas, those gray areas in life. Look, there's a lot that's actually black and white in life. If you go and dive in and come to know God's Word, there's some real clear commands that point us toward flourishing. There's some clear guidelines that actually call us to suffering at times. There's a lot that's clear, but there's also a lot that's gray, complex, or situational. Should you take that? Should you change occupations? Should you change jobs? Should you take that job? Should you take that promotion? Should you move into an under-resourced community? Should you stop working so many hours because you've actually been doing this for quite a while and it's actually destroying other aspects of your life? 
And it's in those moments, in those gray, in those complex situations, that's where we lean into our friends. Or really where our friends lean into us. And this is why it's so crucial, because who you listen to shapes who you become and shapes where your life is headed. When you choose your friends, you choose your destiny. And so in this journey of wisdom, what we're going to do the next two weeks, so today and a week from today, is we're going to lean into this oft-misunderstood institution of friendship. Friendship. Next week, we're going to look at how you build lasting friendships. You know, my mom used to always tell me, if you want a friend, be a friend, right? Like, so that next week, we're going to look at what it means to be the kind of friend you want others to be to you. It's actually laid out in Scripture. God hasn't left us without guidance there. And how to then continue to cultivate healthy friendships. But before we can even look at building relationships that last, we need to ask another first question. And that's how to surround yourself with the right kind of folks. How to surround yourself with the right folks. Now, right when I say that, I'm implying something that's very socially unacceptable. That there is the wrong kind of folks. <laughs> and Scripture is very clear and calls them the fool. Now, there is a right kind of person, and Scripture is also clear about that, and they're called the wise. And, and we're going to dovetail and kind of walk through how do we navigate these two kinds of people. Now, before I go any further, one thing that is clear is that these categories are not clear-cut, right? How many times do we find ourselves playing the fool at different situations in our lives? How many of us wish we were more wise? Of course, but I love the way Christian psychologist and author of a really helpful book called Boundaries, a gentleman by the name of um, Henry Cloud, said, sure, 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 these aren't clear-cut categories, but there are just some folks who make a career of living out one or the other, um, right? And we can be transparent. We don't have, you know, let's just be honest about it. There, there are some folks who make a career out of one or the other. And so what we're going to be diving into together is how to navigate these two different kinds of folks. Now, one thing I also want to be very clear of from the get-go and making a distinction on what this morning's message is, okay? Today's goal is, is not actually the roadmap on how you navigate every single relationship you have in every single situation. Today's goal is to zero in on those you invite into the very intimacies of your heart, those really close friendships. Actually, Jesus modeled this brilliantly. He's engaging all kinds of folks at different points. But who does he invite into the most intimate moments? Twelve apostles and then down to three, right? He even has some healthy boundaries on how to navigate different relationships in different ways. So you're following Jesus as he lays out this path on how you also navigate the fool and the wise. And that's what we're going to dovetail out into this morning is how do we surround ourselves in those intimate, close friendships with the right kinds of folks? Because who you listen to shapes who you become. And we're going to hear what God has to say about how we recognize the different kinds of folks, how we engage these two different kinds of folks, and then simultaneously, how to surround ourselves with them so that we can become the kind of people that God wants us to be, um, that he longs, us, longs for us to be, that he's called us to be, and he's actually designed us to be, okay? So let's start by looking at how there's a wrong kind of person the fool. Now, the fool uh, is the person that if you entrust your heart to them, they'll destroy it. They'll break it. 
If you invite them in to kind of help influence and guide your life, it's going to lead to ruin. If you go to Proverbs chapter 13, here in verse 20, the second half there, we read, The companion of fools will suffer harm. The companion of fools will suffer harm. If you invite them in, if you let them have access to the most intimate parts of your life, if you have these close friendships where you're listening to them as they're seeking to give guidance and guide the trajectory of your life, it's going to lead to your ruin. So how do we recognize the fool? Look, this is rife with all sorts of like bad application <laughs> and misapplication. So here's what I want to say from the get-go. Don't jump to conclusions with people. Don't jump to, the conclu don't jump to conclusions with people first. You need to stop and you need to pray. Just because someone has hurt you once doesn't define them as a fool. Instead, we need to be looking at this trajectory of their life. Jesus tells us what in the Sermon on the Mount? Not to judge, doesn't he? But then simultaneously, just a couple verses later, later, later in the Sermon on the Mount, it says, don't throw your pearls before swine. So you're like, wait a second, Jesus, am I not supposed to judge? Or am I also supposed to discern whether these are pearls and I'm giving it to swine? Well, that's a little intense, right? And that's because Jesus is never saying never have discernment in relationships. He's actually trying to hit home first that you need to be looking in your heart before you go looking at others. That's kind of the, the main note there. But we should have discernment, and it takes time over life or over a period of time to kind of assess a relationship and to make discernment as to whether or not you should entrust your heart to that person. So yeah, you need to come down and you need to land somewhere with someone, but don't be hasty, okay? And so what's the key characteristic of the fool? What's the key characteristic of the fool? Across the pages of, the, of Proverbs and across the pages of Scripture, we come to see that the fool, that how you can discern a fool is by looking at who they are and what they long for over against any one particular failure. If they failed once, that doesn't define them as a fool. It's looking at who they are and what they long for instead of just any one particular failure. It's not that they failed once in their life and they're now defined by that failure for the rest of their life. No, 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 no. It's looking at now, over a period of time, what are some of the patterns you're seeing in their life? What are the passions behind those patterns that you're seeing in their life? How are you discerning and seeing their life headed? What, sure, look at their life, but what's driving them? What are the motives? What's the why behind their life? What are their values? These are absolutely crucial when it comes to discerning the fool. And you could even look back to our first two weeks and say, okay, where do they place their awe? Is their awe before God or before men and women? Always trying to please people. And so their life is like this shifting sand. Where do they put their trust? Is it in God's design or is it always trusting the next best thing or the next thing that just came out? Like, where, and what are they trusting to get? Like, what's their end goal? Because you have to be really careful because someone may look really successful in one area. Say maybe they're very wealthy, but the moment you step back and you look at all the other surrounding relationships and what they sacrificed in order to be wealthy and even the motives behind that, and you'd say, hey, sure, they're successful, but they're fools because they gave up the world. They gave up the soul, their soul in order to gain the world. So it takes some discernment rather than hasty judgment. 
And it's looking at over a period of time with patterns and passions rather than just a single isolated event. So, because that's really hard, I want to give us some diagnostic questions that are also informed from the Proverbs and across the pages of Scripture, okay? For you to be able to be discerning in your relationships. Here are three questions to be discerning that if, if you start to see these markers, then chances are you've revealed a fool in your relationship, um, okay? So here you go. Um, do you sense anger is always beneath the surface? What do I mean by that? Anger is huge in the Proverbs and across the pages of Scripture. Huge. Such that what you find the fool, whenever the fool is confronted because there's brokenness in their life or their life is headed towards a trajectory of destruction and someone says, hey, 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 do you see where your life is headed? And they say, who are you? And they instantly start, you know, acting extraordinarily defensive or you see an underlining tone of contempt. There's a broader theme of impatience. Things always have to come at right the right time or they're going to explode. Beware, you might be in the presence of a fool. Second, do they lack a filter when they speak to others? Do they ever, do they ever hold back from saying something, even though it may be accurate, but because they know how it will affect them and it will actually be more destructive than good? Do they ever hold back from saying the mean thing? Do they ever hold their tongue? Do they have any sort of forethought of like, okay, what's the most helpful thing in this situation rather than this is just what I feel and it needs to be out there? Is there a filter? Can they hold it back for the good of others? Can they keep words that were shared in confidence in confidence? Do they lack a filter when they speak to others? If not, and that's a pattern, beware. Thirdly, do you sense a lack of grace towards others' mistakes? Is there's this deep tone of bitterness that just rages on such that when anybody crosses them, there's no grace given whatsoever. And really what that is is a lack of self-awareness of the grace that they need in their life to continue on day by day. And it reveals a deep either self-pity or arrogance. If you see that, an extraordinary lack of grace, beware. But before you look at anyone else, right, this is, this is important. First, ask and assess, do you see these patterns in yourself? And if you do, wake up, repent, before it's too late, because that's a path to destruction. That's not going to get you what you want. Ask for God's help and ask for the help of those around you. And then, after you've done some first, some self-assessment, then think through relationships patterns remember over a period of time not just a particular point in time passions what motivates and, and ask yourself okay do i see these signs lining up to point to a fool and therefore how should i how should this in, engage inform the way i engage them and here's some rules of engagement when um, walking with a fool first pray pray remember that you're in a relationship with god here in this so don't trust your own discernment exclusively ask god to reveal ask the holy spirit to give you discernment through this process but what do we do next actually like i said one of the biggest signs of a fool it's a huge one in the proverbs is this anger deal this uncontrollable anger and it's a big deal for jesus too in the sermon on the mount it's the first thing jesus hits on anger 
um, and says, some of you guys are worried about murder. Anger is where I'm going, is what Jesus says, right? This is a big deal. And so what do we look? Look at Proverbs chapter 22. Proverbs 22, verses 24 through 25. Here's a great example on how to navigate the fool. 22, 24, and 25. Make no friendship with a man given to anger or woman, nor go with a wrathful person, lest you learn his or her ways and entangle yourself in a snare. So how do you, how do you walk with a fool? With boundaries, both emotional and physical boundaries. And sometimes you've got to limit exposure as well to people. And here's why. What do we see? Lest you learn their ways. Some of you might be thinking, you know, no, 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 okay. Listen, listen. I'm in this relationship for the positive influence. And I get, because I'm going to influence them. And I get that. And that sometimes is the case. There are some relationships where you're the pursuant. But you're not strong enough. <laughs> if that's the person you're inviting into the deepest intimacy of your heart, and they're the ones who are giving you advice that are shaping the trajectory of your life, look out. Beware, or you're going to become like them. And this isn't just an Old Testament thing. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, Paul says, Don't be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. This is true even if Jesus is alive in you. You're not this impermeable wall of influence. But instead, those that we invite into the closest recesses of our hearts that speak into our lives will impact who we become, and the trajectory of our lives. So beware. Now, what if you're in a relationship, you set up boundaries, you begin to limit exposure, but even then, those healthy boundaries are not respected. What do you do? Scripture says, in many cases, you walk away. Look with me at Proverbs chapter 14. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 7. Leave the presence of a fool, for there you do not meet words of knowledge. There are some times and in some relationships where you got to walk away for a season. You need to cut off connection because actually you're not helping them become a quote-unquote better person, and they're clearly not helping you to become a better person, and you continuing to cultivate this codependent and kind of unhealthy you know, dynamic is not going to help them become the people they need to be. So sometimes you've got to cultivate and you're going to walk away from a relationship for a season. Now, what does that look like in real life, right? When it comes to work tomorrow, nobody has issues with boundaries of people at work, right? Nobody? Of course not. So at work, what do you do? What do you do at work? Um, well, if somebody is not respecting healthy boundaries at work, that's what HR is for, a beautiful, God-ordained, uh, you know, section of, of work. Uh, not the Tobys. You know, I'm just kidding. It's in the office. Uh, you know, HR gets a bad rap because of Toby in the office. But no, 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 no. In all seriousness, do your best. If you can't, if they're not respecting boundaries, see if either they or you can transfer departments. Create space. Limit exposure. And if that won't work, it may just mean you have to find a new job. Or they do, um, through the appropriate channels of HR and so on. That's not easy. That sounds like a lot of work. Yeah, because who you become is really important that it's worth it. 
who you listen to, who's around you, who has that influence over you again and again and again. This is really important, and it can take hard work. Now, what about family, friends, or extended family? Sometimes you've got to cut that, cut that relationship off for a season as well. Sometimes you have to say, listen, listen, I love you, but we can't talk for a little while because this is becoming toxic. This is becoming really destructive, okay? And that could be emotional boundaries or physical boundaries. I want to reiterate that. But that's a healthy thing. You've not somehow, like, put Jesus to the side and said, well, Jesus accepts everybody. Well, yes and no. Um, Jesus had really healthy boundaries on who he shared his intimate heart with as well. He wasn't the same intimacy with every single person. So be wise about that. If people aren't respecting healthy boundaries, you might need to walk away. There's not a one-size-fits-all. It's not easy. But who you become matters. And it's really important. So take action, okay? So that's the fool. Now, that was fun. So here's the second one. There's a right kind of person God says there's a right kind of person to really let into the intimacy of your heart, and they're called the wise. The wise. The wise are the ones that you want to invite in and say, yes, influence my life in similar trajectory of your, as yours. The wise are the kinds of folks, if you're a boss, you really want to hire. If you're a coworker, you want to find out how to be on a team with those folks. If, if the, the wise are the kinds of folks where you're dating and you're like, oh, this is great. They're wise. I want to keep this going. Like, all of these factors come together because the wise will handle your heart with care. And they know the path that points to the flourishing of your heart the most. If you go to Proverbs chapter 25, verse 12, we read, I gotta get there. Like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. The wise aren't always easy to find, but they're worth their weight in gold. When you find them, oh, it's so worth it. Lean in. But at the same time, don't jump to conclusions in the same way we talked about the fool. Because so often we can think the wise fit our categories or are successful in one area we really want to be successful in. It goes back to that example earlier. They may be really successful in a particular vocation or a particular area of their life that you really want. But then when you step back and you start to look at the whole picture, you start to see all that they sacrificed in order to gain that. And you say, well, actually, I don't know if I want that. On the other side, there may be someone if you have a high value of maximizing your wealth so you can be maximally generous, right? There may be someone, we find it as actually a common occurrence in Scripture, that has very little financial capacity but is extremely abundant in wisdom. Because maybe, just maybe, it could be a part of their story where they either could have chosen great wealth or integrity and they chose integrity because that was the greater of the two. Or maybe, just maybe, there are societal factors that have limited their wealth but has not limited their wisdom because God gives it abundantly to those who ask. That's right. And so, don't jump to conclusions. We need to practice discernment here in the same way we talked about the fool. So what is a key characteristic? How can we have confidence that we're actually sharing our heart with someone who's wise? Well, in a similar way as to the fool, you go looking for who they are and what they long for over against any one particular accomplishment. Just because they accomplished one thing doesn't mean that they're wise in everything. 
you got to look at who they are and what they long for, meaning you got to look over a period of their life. The wise, wise people aren't perfect people. They're still human beings yeah. with faults and failures. And you could think over the last two weeks again, a wise person is someone who puts their awe before the Creator God and understands that there are boundaries that you shouldn't cross or they'll crush you in this world. A wise person knows and trusts that what God has to say about life and His world is more trustworthy than what I can discover in my own experience or see with my own two eyes. And if that's true, you start to look at the life of a wise person and you start to look at their patterns and their passions. What, what's driving them? What are their motives? And I would even take one more step further, this side of the cross of Jesus, and say the best bet as well to finding a wise person is finding one who's embraced the wisdom embodied, as someone who's embraced Jesus. And so his practices and his precepts, not that they're perfect, but they're leaning into it. That's an even greater telltale sign that you've found a wise person. Because what does Paul say in Colossians chapter 2, verse 3? In Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So if somebody thinks that Jesus is foolish, be wary. Because you're probably not headed in the same trajectory. Be careful when you open your heart up to their influence, their advice, and their guidance. But even still, we need some diagnostic questions, don't we? I think we... <laughs> oh, when you start thinking about broader patterns and practices, um, how, what, are, what are some diagnostic questions to help affirm that we are indeed engaging someone who's wise? Um, here's the first one. Ask yourself, are they committed to the truth at all costs? So the fool gets really defensive when they're confronted in their falsehood. The wise person's like, yeah, come here. Tell me, tell me how I can grow. Because I don't see everything. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you know what? I wasn't quite in line. I needed that. Keep speaking into my life. Because I, you know what? I need some truth. I need to guide. Because I can't see everything with my two eyes. So yeah, bring it on. And then simultaneously, so there's this humility and this meekness to receive and, and, and say, okay, wise person, speak into my life. And I'm going to listen. And I'm going to actually follow what you have to say because I can't see it all. But then a wise person also is really bold such that when they see brokenness in their friends' lives, they're not quiet, but they actually speak up and say, hey, I see where your life is headed, and I know you may not like me right now, but I'm committed to the truth and where your life is headed, and I, and I have to say this because I love you. Are they committed to the truth at all costs? Both of these we find across the pages of Scripture and across the Proverbs. Second question, are they zealous about what's right for everyone, which of course assumes they know what God defines as right, which is often described as righteous across the pages of Scripture or just. And do they speak up for what is right for those who can't speak up for themselves? The voiceless in a culture where they're often mistreated or overlooked. This person, the wise person, says, yeah, we can do this, but we ought to think about the voiceless who can't speak into this situation. That's again and again, the wise know the plight of the poor. So they're committed to what's right and zealous about what's right for everyone and are willing to give up their own self-advancement to make headway for all. Thirdly, do they treat every human being with respect and dignity? That's a wise person. How do they treat their enemies? Or better yet, how do they treat their loved ones at home or their friends that they live with? 
It's often the ones that are closest to us, that have the most time with us, that we let down our guard and we bite the hardest. <laughs> do they treat everybody with dignity and respect? How do they talk about other people when they're not around? Do they treat every human being with respect and dignity? If you start to see some patterns with an affirmative, with a yes to these, then you might just have found yourself a wise person. Um, so how do we start? What are the rules of engagement with the wise? Well, first, you've got to pray. <laughs> Again, you've got to practice discernment. You've got to ask God um, and the power of the Holy Spirit to bring discernment. You could ask also another question, are the fruit of the Spirit you know, coming to bear in their life? Are you seeing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control? Are you starting to see those things evident? Not that they're perfect, but that they're growing. If so, what we see across the pages of Scripture is that when you find a wise person, you adjust your calendar, you move everything you can around in order to be closer to the wise. Everything. For those close friendships, those intimate spaces in your heart that actually shape the trajectory of your life. Why? Because when you walk with the wise, you become wiser. Go to Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. This is the first half. We read the second half earlier, but the first half says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. Because who you listen to shapes who you become and when you're walking together, processing life together, asking questions about life together, you're going to listen to your friends. And they're going to influence pretty drastically where the path goes and where it leads. And when you're with the wise, what do you do? So when the fool doesn't respect boundaries, you walk away. When you're walking with the wise, what do you do? You listen to them. If you're walking with the wise and they start saying something, have your ears open. If you go back to Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. He doesn't need anybody speaking to his life. He's good. I've got it figured out. I'm fine with the way I am. Thank you. Second half, but a wise man listens to advice. Now, this word listens in Hebrew, the Hebrew doesn't have a word for just hearing information and obeying information. There's just one word that means both, listen and obey. It's like that's where you get the, the great Shema in Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel. It's not just hear, but like obey. Make this a part of your life. And so right here, what we come to see is that the wise man actually obeys advice. It's not like, oh, that was really interesting. I'm still going to do what I want. That's the fool. The fool will not listen to the advice of the wise. That doesn't mean he's like shut wise people out altogether. No, there might be wise people around her saying, don't do this. It's going to destroy your life. The fool says... Nice, thanks for telling me I'm going to do my own thing. The wise says, thanks for telling me I will walk with you in that. Yes. It actually changes the course of your life because you have those people in your life who are saying, you don't see this, you've got a blind spot here, and you've got to trust me. But if you don't have the right kind of people around you, how can you trust anyone? You need people you can really trust with your heart. That when you can't even see your own heart anymore, they can see it for you and help get you on the right path. We've got to listen to the wise. After you've discerned and done some hard work and prayer, 
and listen to God's word and kind of the lens that's been lifted up on who you should entrust your heart with, just like Jesus did with his 12 apostles. And yeah, one even rejected him and even betrayed him and then leaning into those three. Peter, James, and John. So what do we do with this? These two different kinds of folks. Now that maybe you can recognize them and even thinking through different paths on how to navigate them, what do we do? Well, I want to give us some homework um, for the next seven days. Remember, next Sunday, we're going to talk about how to build lasting relationships, the kind of people we need to be, and then simultaneously the catalyst to help those relationships grow. But before you get to that, you have to do the assessment and do an inventory of who's speaking into your life. What are those relationships you should be investing in? And so get out a piece of pen or a piece of pen. <laughs> Hopefully you have the whole pen. If you just have a piece of pen, you might, not, you might be shot from the beginning. Um, no, but a pen, a piece of paper, and pray for the Holy Spirit to give you some discernment and start weighing out those relationships, those voices that are speaking into your life. Here's a first easy step. Start with media. In our day and age, there's all kinds of voices that we're listening to that are shaping us into who we're becoming, and yet they still might not be even relationships. You might have fools coming over the radio hour, right? That's right. So start asking yourself, okay, who are the newscasters? Who are the, I got real. Who are the podcasters? You know, who are the vloggers, the bloggers, the Facebook friends, the Facebook groups? And start assessing, okay, am I starting to see like I'm becoming an angry person always under the surface when I listen to them? Am I becoming the kind of person who actually does not respect the dignity of every human being because I'm listening to them? Am I, am I becoming the kind of person who doesn't care about what's right for everyone, but just for me because I listen to them? And you have to start asking, okay, who do I need to cut out from listening to in media? Are there some wise voices I need to start including more regularly because who I listen to shapes who I become? That's an easy first step, okay, but an important one. Second, it's much more difficult is now to start assessing your relationships. To start assessing your relationships. And this is hard because we see faces and we see names and people we love dearly. And I, once again, I'm not saying you have to ostracize folks. That's not it. There are some places where you need to have healthier boundaries and you need to walk away for a season. But ask yourself, are there some relationships you need to put up some boundaries because of the kind of person you are when you're with them? Are there some relationships that you need to actually limit how much you're with them? Are there some relationships you need to rekindle? Are there some wise folks in your life that you need to be more intentional about pursuing? And then are you, ask yourself, are you listening to those wise people? And once again, this isn't just garnering information and then doing whatever you want. It's actually like leaning in and trusting them enough. That's what this means, trusting them enough that when they say don't do this, you don't do it. When they say, hey, now is the time to act, you act right then because you are entrusting your heart to them. That's what this is about because you can't see it all. You can't do it on your own. The fool says, I see all I need to see. Thank you. The wise says, I can't see it all. Speak into my life, but it's very discerning on the right kinds of folks who are speaking into their life that they're seeing their life the way God sees your life as best they can. Who you listen to shapes who you become. And you need to choose wisely. And you're not abandoning the call that Jesus has called you to. 
By doing this, you're actually following Jesus more faithfully. And these intimate, close relationships being very discerning. You might be one relationship away from changing the trajectory of your life. And I'm serious about that. It, 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 these are very crucial relationships. That's why it's all over the pages of Proverbs. And that's why it's modeled by Jesus. And Paul echoes it in his letters. Because who you become matters. And not just for you. And I want to say this. It will impact your joy. When you're on the same road and you're trying to follow Jesus and, it's by, and, you're, and you're inviting people who are also passionate about following Jesus into your life, you're going to have more joy and even have deeper understanding when somebody is broken over seeking to follow Jesus but also feeling the frustrations in a broken world, right? It, it will be a catalyst for deeper joy. But it's more than that. God's deeply interested in who you're becoming, deeply interested, but not just for you, but because through you, he wants to communicate his love to every single person. The great commandment is, is true. Love, you know, your neighbor as yourself. Well, first, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. This is so important. And the way that God also wants to do it is through the kind of person you're becoming. And the kinds of things he wants to do through you because of the kind of person you're becoming. Right? Such that when other people look on you, what Jesus finishes his Sermon on the Mount... They might look at you and the things that you're doing because of the kind of person you're becoming and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. That they might look at you and actually say, oh man, you're building a plausibility for the gospel. They may not say that. They might say, oh, who is this Jesus, right? Um, who says plausibility for the gospel but a pastor? But there it is, you know, like, they might say, oh man, the kind of person you're becoming, I want to become. That's what Jesus does? You see, God is deeply interested in who you're becoming. And who you listen to shapes who you become. And it's not just about you, but it's about what God wants to do through you. And it, it reminds me of a story. Um, it's a true story from uh, early 17th century England. There was uh, slavery was legal. Slave trade was legal at that time. And just as a good reminder, just because something's legal doesn't mean it's morally right. Um, so it was legal at the time, and there was a lot of social uh, contention as to what was the morally right thing to do. Well, there was one Anglican clergyman who used to be a slave trader who was appalled and thought it was clearly and morally repugnant that the slave trade would continue. And so he spoke out against the slave trade again and again there in the churches where he spoke as an Anglican clergyman, and he began to garner a hearing from various influential folks there in England. And then there was one young Christian man who also was convicted over the evils of the slave trade. He was in Parliament. And he came to this Anglican clergyman and he said, Listen, I want to have the most impact I can have in helping abolish the slave trade. Should I become an Anglican clergyman like you or should I stay in Parliament? And you know what the Anglican clergyman said? He didn't say the easy thing or the comfortable thing. He was committed to truth at all costs. He wanted what was right for everyone. And he had dignity and respect for every human being. And you know what he said? He told this gentleman, serve where God has you. Stay where you are in Parliament. Now, some of you may have figured it out at this point, maybe, um, that the Anglican clergyman was none other than John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace. And the young Christian man was none other than William Wilberforce, who was one of the greatest catalysts to ending 
slavery in Great Britain and then became a catalyst for ending slavery around the world. William Wilberforce understood all too well that you have to surround yourself with the right people when you're in these positions. You got to listen to a particular person, the right kind of person, the wise, because they're going to shape the trajectory of your life. And praise God he did. That he went to someone who had a record, not of perfection. I mean, the dude had a real rough, terrible past where he was a part of the slave trade. John Newton was. But he met Jesus and now was driven by something wholly other, was actually the patterns and the practices of, of his life were headed in a different trajectory that pointed and actually revealed someone who was wise and in line with what God's doing in the world. And William Wilberforce was like, that's the kind of person that I need to entrust my heart with and actually I need to let have the influence on where my life is headed. And so he went and he said, what do I do? And then John Newton said, stay where you are. And praise God he did. And listen, that's true for every single one of us in here. Share the gospel with all. Love all. But when it comes to your closest friends, follow Jesus and invite only the wise to speak into your life because who you listen to shapes who you become. And who you become matters to God, not just for you, definitely for you, but for the mark that he wants to leave in his redemptive mission this world over. So choose wisely. Let's, let's pray. God, we need this. I need this. Um, every, all scripture is breathed out and inspired by God, by you. And it's profitable. It's good. And helping us may, be whole people to carry out your mission. May we be a discerning people. If in this process we're discerning areas in which we're foolish, may we hear your word, be led by your spirit, and encouraged by the wise around us. If we have relationships that would be categorized as maybe foolish, may we take the appropriate steps of boundaries and processing how to follow Jesus in the midst of that so that we limit how much we listen and so become a particular kind of person. May we be intentional in surrounding ourselves with the wise and those most intimate of relationships. And may we follow Jesus, the one who has the greatest authority to speak into our lives, wisdom embodied, and may we follow him to the utmost and become the people you've called us to be. Not just for our own good, but to be the kind of people who continue to proclaim the gospel with authenticity, with consistency, with a ballast of character. We love you, God. Thank you. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen.